right, I think that because we have one thing we're going to talk about together. Yeah. I so I'm going to do kind of like a block right now of three movies right. back to back, and they are kind of themed. They are all horror movies that I have watched uh, pretty recently. Um, I'll, st- I'll start off with the most recent one, which is in theaters right now. It's called It Follows. Now, uh, originally, I thought this movie was just going to be an independent release, uh, and it is. It was made as an independent film, um, but luckily, for once, uh, the Weinstein Company, unlike with Snowpiercer, um, they decided to get their act together, and maybe because it is a horror movie, they put it out on over a thousand screens, and this weekend, it's actually number five in the box office, so I'm extremely happy for that, because... Alright, what this movie is about. This girl uh, meets this guy, and, you know, it's a, a small town, or suburban 1980s. At least it feels like the 1980s. We're not told it is, but it looks it. The soundtrack feels it. This girl goes out with this guy, and everything seems like it's going okay. They're on a date. Um, they're getting closer. Um, they finally, in the guy's car, they, you know, do the deed. They have sex, and it feels tender. Immediately after the sex, he um, knocks her out, uh, you know, with chloroform, and uh, takes her. And when she wakes up, she's in a chair in a dark room, and the guy, you know, puts her on. Like where you develop photographs, or just a room that's dark. Like outside, in like a like an abandoned. Wait, is she in a room, or is she in a? Is she outside? She was already. She was in the car with him. Out in, you know, wherever, having sex. And then he takes her to an abandoned parking lot. Or a parking so garage. So it's not a room. No. Why did, I say, did I say it's a room? You said a dark room. A dark place, sorry. Not a dark room. <laughs> All right. A dark outdoor room. Alright. He he points her to, on a ledge to look to see if someone's coming. And suddenly she sees this dark figure coming at her. And she... You know, not not very close, but far away. She's like, who is that? He reveals to her that because now that he's had sex with her, he's put something in her that will make it follow. Now, we're not really told what it is. Um, we assume we can assume in the movie that it's it's a, a clown monster of... played by. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> ah! 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 Yes. No, it is not Tim Curry. Although I will get to that in a moment, because... No, no. All right. What he tells her, that it's this sort of... um, Almost like being possessed in a way, but not really. Where, because he's had sex with her, he's now passed on it. Again, we don't know what it is. We're not told it. This is actually to the movie's benefit, and I'll get to it in a moment. Now, it is going to follow her, and... It it they can't it won't run after her it'll be walking but if it catches up to her it will kill her unless she has sex with someone else and passes it along it's basically a kind of supernatural demonic entity um, and if it doesn't if he does if she doesn't pass along it will kill her then it will kill him and it'll go back down the line to whoever this started with so what we get in the movie. Is her, you know, at first she doesn't, you know, she doesn't believe this happened. Like, she's been raped by this guy, basically, or date raped. Even though it was consensual sex, you know, he did, you know, knock her out and tie her up and fuck with her. And you think, like, oh, man, what's happened here? But then she starts seeing people coming at her. And other people can't see this thing. And it's freaking her out because she's realized, okay this thing might be re- real. Even though, again, you can't see it, but it's there. Um, now, I, I might not be All doing right. a great job describing this. The reason that I'm being sort of vague is because... and th- yeah, th- Anything you tell me is going to spoil the movie. The pro- Yeah, well, the thing is, the movie, you can't really spoil that much because what's great about the movie, what and what I love about it in part, is that you don't find out what it really is. You get sort of a hint that, okay, this is a kind of demonic, maybe supernatural entity um, that maybe it can be killed, um, which is basically what the sort of ultimate goal of her and her friends ends up being. Um, But you don't really find out its origin. There's no, like, 
moment of revelation. And what that's why I, I loved about it because the movie, the way it's shot, it's presented a little bit like an old school John Carpenter movie, almost like Halloween. The way that Halloween is horror in the suburbs, you know, where you know you have the most commonplace, but oh my God, there's a serial killer. Um, in this, and technically it is kind of a serial killer movie, except that, again, because you don't know what it really is, and the it can kind of take the forms of different people. So what this hap- so what happens is she doesn't know who will be coming for her. So you'll be seeing her or her friends and like I see in the background. You'll see you'll see, or sorry, the foreground. You'll see somebody else in the background walking around, and you keep thinking, is this it? Is this the thing that's coming for her? And there are times where wait, is it seems... it or the thing? Well, they're going to two different things. <laughs> We're going to play the pronoun game. Well, that's kind of actually that's what I said in my my review. I said the pronoun of horror movies, um, <laughs> but it increases the level of paranoia. Right. You don't know what's going to happen next. Um, in a sense, it almost had the air of something like Polanski's Repulsion to me. Oh yeah, you know where in that movie. Uh, things are kind of sneaking up on this character. The only difference is in in this movie, this thing does sort of exist. There is a moment where um, one might argue that it could seem a little uh, cheesy, like you know, finally her friends recognize that this thing is sort of real because you see like her hair being pulled up. This girl. Uh, let me actually quickly look up her name because. This movie, it's it's by a director who really hasn't done much before. It's like his second feature film. This guy, his name's David Robert Mitchell. You know he's important because he has three names, and he's, they're all first names. He's either a rich man or an assassin. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, the actress's name, uh, Makia Monroe, and she plays Jay. And so Jay's going through this movie, and you're really... Uh, I, going to this movie, I was I was afraid of something. I was a little worried that, again, I, I talk about how this thing can be passed along through sex. I was worried going in that what if this movie is kind of like an anti-sex parable? Right. It's like, if you have sex, this will happen to you. And the movie doesn't say that. No. The movie shows sex as being a very warm, gener- you know, good thing to do. It's just that when it involves some sort of entity that's being passed along. Demonic entities will ruin anything. Yeah, exactly. It could be about candy. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, Don't eat candy or this will happen to you. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm going to write that down. Yes, good. You do that. The movie succeeds again. You want to... These characters are... All right. I mentioned Halloween in the past uh, just now. The movie takes on horror movie tropes and slasher tropes in a great way in that, you know, in a lot of slasher movies, the characters are dumb. They're t- dumb teenagers and stuff like that. Yeah, teenagers can be dumb. They can be, but it's nice to have teenagers who, or young people, actually, these aren't that teenagers. They're more like older teenagers, almost in college level. They are, they come together to help uh, this girl out. They're not bickering. They're not ty- types. Um, she does have... You know, the sort of plutonic friend who's sort of, like, waiting to... Plutonic. Plutonic is, like, the planet. Plutonium. Yes. (laughs) They're all radioactive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Her her friend who basically does... Has been kind of waiting in the wings for a while. And even when when he finds out that she has this thing, he actually offers... All right. I'll have sex with you. Oh, darn. I guess. Um... Again, I'll have way, to make a sacrifice. Yeah, and the way that you you know you talked about Under the Skin being one of these movies where so much of it is about the mood and the atmosphere that you're drawn into this world even though you're not explained a lot of things. You can infer things. This is one of those kind of movies, and yet what's great is that it's a horror film done again kind of like in Carpenter's John Carpenter style. Um, the music is very synthy, but it drags you into the material. Um, you know, I like a horror movie where, you know, there aren't, there may be, there's maybe one jump scare in the movie, but it's actually kind of good. Like, this is the kind of horror movie where, again, the terror is that, you know, you see your character up front, 
you see another person coming from the background towards, yeah. and it's like, oh my god, oh my god, what is this happening? Oh, Cabin in the Woods did that. Cabin in the Woods did that a little yeah. bit. Um, you know, that was a little bit more, you know, satirical, I think. Yeah, but still, I mean, it's it's still effective. It's still an effective shot. It is. I love it that. Is. I love that. that is, I love the patient. That is the antithesis of the jump scare. Yeah. And that <laughs> and that's something I love. And that's what you get in this movie. This movie is again, I know I talk about cinematography and you're like, huh, what? The basic act of what? characters up front and characters in the back. Like there's one shot where um like the girl like the girl is with her friends at like a high school trying to research stuff about because the guy who you know, has sex with her and leaves her and tells her the situation. He doesn't, he gives her a fake, he gives her a fake name and she has to find this guy to find out more about it. So he tracks down him to like a high school and is looking like through diplomas and stuff in a room. You're seeing a shot of them in one room. You see another person walking and it's like, okay, this could be somebody, but it's the kind of scene where nothing is happening, but there's tension every moment. Yeah. I love paranoia movies that it's actually like, uh, increase the paranoia. It's like uh, the Hurt Locker. You expect everything in that movie to explode. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good comparison. And uh, and this movie is all right. Let me just sign my name. I'll just click this pen. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yes, uh, it follows. It's one of the best horror films I have seen in many years. New it horror. Follows, films, I say. It follows. It is great. It it follows in the trend of. Things that hopefully people will be talking about um, uh, for a while now. And uh, hopefully you will remember this guy, David Robert Mitchell. Or or you, know, you I, won't. Yeah, or you won't. Or you'll just call him DR. DRM. Hmm? David Robert Mitchell. DRM. Yeah. Okay. Three names. Three names. That's true. All right. What's your next movie? Um, well, speaking of John Carpenter, um, I finally watched a film that you could call his latest film, even though it's from five, four or five years ago, uh, John Carpenter's The Ward. Um, this is uh, basically a insane asylum movie uh, starring Amber Heard. Um, what we get in this movie is Amber Heard, at the start of the movie, we see it, she's like, running through the woods, and then she stops at this house and sets it on fire and is watching it burn. And Housewarming she... gift. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even find that funny. Is that a reference to something? No. <laughs> but no, that was I, I laughed. Um, continue. Um, continue. I will. Um, she gets sent to a loony bin, um, run by Jared Harris. He's like the ma- main doctor there, um, and she starts noticing that a couple of girls. Uh, are she keeps getting haunted by these ghosts, but they're not like ooh, spooky ghosts. They're like they look more like creatures, like they ha- like women, but they have scarred faces and lots of makeup on. And they drag queens. Mm-hmm. And one by one, these the, the these ghosts, or it might just be a ghost actually, uh, of a of a former patient, are killing off other women patients on this ward. Um, it's set in the 1960s, I should add. So it has a bit of period flavor, you know, and music. Um, and there's electroshock in the movie, you know, good old electroshock. Um, and so Amber Heard, you know, like there's something fishy going on here. I got to get out of here. And of course, you know, the, the nurses and the doctors think that she's insane. So they keep pumping her full of drugs and giving her shock treatment occasionally. And so, you know, she tries to rally up the other girls who, you know, are the various types of cliches of people you might see on a mental in a mental ward, especially in a women's mental ward. You, know, you have like the bitchy one. You have like the one who's kind of uh, close. You know, like kind of like squirmy a little bit. Like, oh, I don't know if we should do sort of like that. Um, types basically. And again, I mentioned in it follows the idea of atmosphere in a horror movie. Here we get that. Um, you know, John Carpenter, clearly he, he probably, why, why I thought watching this movie is he read this script and he said, all right, this isn't the greatest script. This has a lot of tropes. It has some types, but I think I can do something with it. I think I can find my way in here. Um, and he mostly does. 
I think the script is not that strong, even though it's that rare case where it has a twist ending or has a twist reveal in the climax. And I actually didn't hate it. I actually kind of liked it. It actually made, for me, some of the cliches that happen with the characters in the movie work better. Right. Or they worked a little more interesting. Again, that might not totally excuse that they're still dealing in cliches in the writing with some of these characters. Yeah. You know, a one-dimensional bitchy character is still a one-dimensional bitchy character. But the ending makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, there are some gri- there are some grisly deaths, uh, uh, of course. Uh, There's one moment where I was watching the movie and... Uh, like Corey was in the room with me, and she does not. She, uh, you may have noticed this over time. She, the thing that really makes her gets under her skin is stuff with eyes. Yeah. Like, and there's a scene in this movie where the the ghost killer person takes like a giant knife, but not like more like a one of those medical oblong. I don't know how to describe it. Well, takes a knife. Takes a knife and you know sticks it. In her eye. Oh. And so Corey was sort of like... People half, are sensitive what, about their eyes. They can be sensitive. But yeah, I've, I could, I could get a little creeped out. I get a little more creeped out by stuff with teeth. Yeah. For some reason, that gets to me. I can't take seeing... Is it safe, Jack? Teeth. Yeah. Is not, it safe? It's not safe. Don't ever watch The Dentist or The Dentist Part 2. <laughs> they're terrible movies, but aside from that... That's why you shouldn't watch them, because they're terrible <laughs> movies. Aside from close-up shots of graphic detor- torture of teeth. But anyway, um, I told Corey this, and, and like Corey's sort of half like, what happened? I'm like, oh, let me rewind this. And she's watching it, and she's... Like, it's right before this happens, and she's like, no, no, oh my god, no, no, I know what's coming. And... That happens, and I was kind of laughing, and then she's like, I hate you. You made me hate you. Yeah. You're a great husband. Yeah. Well, in that moment, I wasn't that great. Um, So there are some good things about this movie. Is it one of John Carpenter's best? No, probably not. Um, Again, some of that comes down to the script. Some of it just comes down to things that are so familiar, if you've seen enough of these you know, horror things happening in an insane asylum thing. It's the script is like a Tales from the Crypt episode, but the direction and the actors elevate a little bit. Um, I mentioned Jared Harris. He plays the doctor. He's really solid in the movie. Um, and Amber Heard is pretty good. Uh, and again, it's an example of a director elevating material that could otherwise not be very good. Uh, so the ward, uh, in short, it's not bad. It's better than you may have heard. It's It could have been worse. You may read bad things about it if you go on Rotten Tomatoes, but maybe don't listen to them for once and check it out on Netflix. Or listen to them and don't watch it. Yes, or yeah, or, or don't listen to me. What are you doing listening to this podcast? Uh, <laughs> listen to me. Don't listen to my point of view, damn it. Um, it's me you want. <laughs> Alright, um, do you have another film? And the last film to talk about, which I just saw today uh, we mentioned You mentioned Dara Argento earlier I saw a Dara Argento movie called Tenebre 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 Yeah, is this, Tenebre. A, one, is this a newer film of his? No, 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 no This uh, you, What you might be thinking of is the movie Giallo With Adrian Brody Which is a shit sandwich <laughs> Fuck that movie Oh, God <laughs> You, two, you get two Adrian Brodies for the price of one, Whee! and they both suck. Oh, that that movie made me like. Now let me ask you about Dario Argento. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ask away. I mean, you have seen Suspiria. Yeah. We've watched Opera together. We did. We also watched Phenomena. We didn't watch we... Phenomena together. Oh, you weren't. Oh, I you may. Weren't there I, I probably was sorry. not there. Okay. Uh, but yeah, Opera. Because I, I haven't were... seen Phenomena. Okay. Uh, so, uh, what is your general opinion of Dario Argento? Because here's the just from those two the, movies, you have an opinion. Well, I do. Dario Argento is more about people being in peril than creating any framework in which to put that peril. Hmm. Like when I first heard of the movie Suspiria, I was r- super intrigued because it had these weird, like. Uh, it's it's a super colorful movie. Yeah, it had these super colorful images. It had uh, these really bizarre, grotesque-looking uh, 
just images of like of bloody women and mm-hmm. these over the top killing uh, murder scenes, mm-hmm. and that and I expected something hallucinogenic, something very. It felt like something it, a it little, had a fairy something tale a little, to it. something a little detached from the world, but but very much absorbed. Like when I when I what I thought Suspiria was was essentially like a haunted house film, mm-hmm. not like a slasher film. Okay. Now, I can't blame Dario Argento for not meeting my expectations. That's fine. But I feel like, but what there was on the screen didn't necessarily necessarily succeed in its own right. I mean, huh. Suspiria has some great moments, and it's I worth seeing for that. I think Suspiria sustains itself. But I mean, the whole story in which it's placed is not the best story. Maybe not the best. It's enough of a story. It's interesting you mention that because I do. I can kind of feel that a little bit in his movies. Like, when it comes to the horror directors, like, Dario Argento is sort of up there. Like, if he does have an issue, and I've seen a lot of his films, um, just to rattle off some names, uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, uh, The Bird with Crystal Plumage, uh, Profundo Rosso, uh, Inferno, Mother of Tears, uh, The Stendhal Syndrome. Uh, He's a style over substance guy. Okay. He's very much, he's in love with the way a camera moves and creating atmosphere with that. Um, as far as actors in these movies, he gets good actors. He gets good setups. But the problem is he's working mostly in the giallo genre. And so much of what yeah. he does is sort of the same movie where murders are happening. A character gets wrapped up in it. Uh, even though the police are sort of handling it, the character takes it upon themselves to try to solve the murders. And wh- wh- wackiness ensues. It also kind of reminds me of... Uh, of uh, I mean, of that's what happens in Suspiria. The abominable Dr. Fives. Well, in that movie, though, you, had, I mean, that's, you knew that's... more about the villain. In these in Dario Gento movies, um, in almost all of them, not all of them, but in a good lot of them, you don't know who the villain is. Right. Like, the, it, very strategically, he'll shoot it. And also, this happens in Tenebre. Um, he shoots it where you see the killer has like a black glove and often will have a knife or will be freaking out in like the shadows. (laughs) That reminds me. Have you ever seen police squad, the television show? A little bit of it. There is a great gag with that. Like the only thing you ever see of the killer is their hand in the glove and their sleeve or, or their shoes. Yeah. So there's this one where there's one episode where there's this, there's a bomber planting bombs and killing people Hmm. and when we finally find out who the bomber is it's this person and they're just wearing the sleeves pant legs (laughs) shoes and gloves of uh, of the person we saw and all their other clothes are just normal Uh, (laughs) i love that show you've got to see the whole thing yeah i know i i um yeah I've, i've seen bits of it i just you know like it was uh I, I watched the Naked Gun movies more. All right. Well, uh, anyway, with Tenebre, um, the story uh, concerns uh, uh, a guy who writes, uh, you know, ha- kind of like horror books or books involving, you know, women in peril and that sort of thing. And you know, he gets called out. This author gets called out a lot for misogyny, misogyny and things like that. Oh, Imagine projecting probably, much, Dario Argento? I'm. I think there is a bit of that in this movie. A little bit. Author surrogate, uh, maybe? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, and basically, um, what happens is this author comes to Rome to do press for his new book, which is also called Tenebre. Um, and lo and behold, uh, you know, a woman gets killed, and then, and, and like, the thing is, the woman was killed, and you see in her murder scene, uh, the killer is taking pages from his book and, like, stuffing them in her mouth before, like, you know, he slashes her throat. Um... And so, like, a series of murders happen um, that basically kind of, not just, you know, at first he just thinks, oh, so, all right, so, all right, this, su- this sucks that this person died, but, you know, it's not my fault. Uh, but things keep happening, and he's like, okay, this does kind of involve me, and now they're coming after people who are close to me. Yeah. You know, and, um, and you know, of course, he sort of becomes involved with it. Um, what I like about this movie a lot is that, A, even though the filmmaking has a serious tone to it, I don't think Argento is taking himself that seriously. The movie's a lot of fun. Um, 
he's all like he also again the thing with Argento is again if not always the best actors, but he gets what he needs out of them. And again, he's also an Italian director uh, working with usually English casts. So in this case, the version I saw, it was like a 35 millimeter print in theaters and it had people actually talking in English, even though at times it seemed like other characters were talking, but they seemed like they might have been dubbed. It was that a, a spaghetti western thing. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, I don't know if you know Argento. He wrote. Co-wrote. He co-wrote Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, he was one of the writers of that. Um, he's he's the one. I think he wrote the uh, the backstory behind Charles Bronson's character. Oh. Okay. I think that's the part he was responsible for. Nice. That's funny too. Well, actually, but he's also one of the sponsors who got George Romero to write Dawn of the Dead. Well, no, yeah, he produced Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. He he. So he, the uh, man has uh, has his place in cinema history. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, again, he's made a lot of great films. Uh, for me, I mean, Deep Red is a, is another really good one. The Bird of the Crystal Plumage is another one. Um, Inferno comes close. Tenebre actually is really good for par- chunks of it. There, um, what makes it work is that, again, I say he doesn't take himself seriously, but he's having fun as a filmmaker. There's one scene in this movie where you're following this one woman character who goes into her, her apartment or whatever, and there's like another woman up like a flight above her who's kind of like a, uh, a prostitute. Like literally, when you see you see her up at the top of the stairs, and she's like just showing part of her breasts, being really blatant about it, and this other woman's like like throws something at her because he's pissed at her. Dargento then starts this like I'm not kidding, like four minute crane shot where the shot goes starting from like her one bedroom window, goes around the house literally in one shot, and then you see like the 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 shutters on a window being opened by the killer and it's one of these shots and also uh the guy who did the people did the music for dawn of the dead goblin they also did the music for suspiria yeah you know yeah um i love their music they they really the trailer of suspiria will haunt your dreams yeah (laughs) just the trailer roses are red Mm-hmm. Violets are blue. <laughs> um, the only thing more terrifying than the first yeah. ten minutes of Suspiria are the last seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, what a weird tagline, right? That is a great trailer. Yeah, it is. I agree. Um, yeah. Fucking Suspiria. Um, <laughs> Um, so back to so, so Bray, so they have that shot, which is just, I'm in the theater, I'm having chills watching that. I'm just, you know, it's almost too over the top, but I'm still loving it anyway. Right. It's a director again, loving filmmaking. There's also a scene involving what is both a very scary and very funny dog chase, where like this other woman character, um, you know, he's kind of like you know a good innocent character who gets dropped off by a jerk of a would-be boyfriend, like, at night on the street. She's walking, trying to walk around, and this Rottweiler is, like, behind a fence barking at her. And somehow he gets over the fence and starts chasing her. (laughs) And at one point catches up with her and bites her, but then she knocks him away. He continues to follow her for what is almost like five or ten minutes. But it's... (laughs) Someone saw it follow. Well, this time you know it's a dog. You're not surprised by anything. All right, uh, so but it's finish up on this that. one. I will. I'm I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> so not a lot of surprises here. By the but what but what made me, I was saying, all right, this is a good movie. It's not one of Argento's best. When the ending comes up, I was very surprised by how Argento was jerking me around in a good way. Uh, as far as kind of playing the audience, so to speak, um, where you discover who the killer is, but it's sort of not who the killer is, and he is at the same time, and then you think that, you know, then a lot of explanation happens that seems a little bit over the top, but it's not the, and I thought, oh, they're ending the movie here, oh, that's lame, but the movie goes on a little bit more, and it's really exciting and funny. It's not, it's not like Superman to be that and funny. 
but it's it was just funny with the audience I was with. Uh. Um, so if you're looking for a good Giallo movie, not Jello, I'm talking about Giallo, like spelled G-I-A-L-L-O. Yeah, you know. This is a good example of it. It has just style to burn. You sort of care about the characters. There were times where I was a little confused by where characters were in relation to each other, but I tried to let that slide. I mean, what can you do? Right. So, Tenebre, worth checking out if you can find a DVD. I went to see it in the theater because it's very hard to find on DVD, but uh, hopefully do your best. Maybe you'll have luck. All right. talk about our last film that we both saw yeah and i i i got this because again you uh, in part because you mentioned that you wanted to watch it and yeah i, so I, I mentioned so I, it on the last podcast so i don't think we need to keep it a secret uh we both watched texas chainsaw massacre that's right i just got and i just got the new blu-ray that was released um which impressed me because i was a little worried that it would maybe look too cleaned up but yeah they, they didn't um now, I could talk, now, before, you, before we quite get into it, now, for me, I've seen this movie many times over the years. Right. Uh, um, let's just do the quick uh, summarization here. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, directed by Toby Hooper, came out in 1974? Yep, 1974. And it's about a bunch of friends who go out to their, who go out to one of their, uh, their grandfather's cabin. Yeah, yeah, in one of their, Texas. One of the, yeah, one of the guys go in, in in rural Texas, and they come across a bunch of cannibalistic grave robbing hillbillies. Yes, and one of them being uh, a name you may know as Leatherface. Right, and uh, tragedy ensues. Yes. So this has been on my list for a long time. Okay. I don't know why exactly I wanted to see it. Oh yeah, I I know why I want to see it because it was on Ten Minutes about your favorite movie, but. Uh, okay. Now, for me, like, this was the kind of movie where, um, I think before we started the podcast, we were just talking about video stores and how you didn't really have them in your childhood. No. Like, for me, when I was about 12 years old, you know, I would go and look, like, in the horror section of the video store, and this was back when this horror section had videos that just, you know, when you went to a video store, it was great, was looking at the covers yeah, very striking design. I mean, I was in video stores when I was a kid, and I was able to, I would look at covers, and that was a treat in itself. Yeah, and the two covers that always fascinated me were the cover for the movie Zombie, the Lucio Fulci zombie fight shark movie, with uh, you know that sort of decayed <laughs> zombie with no eyes in its sockets. And... Yeah, like the, when I saw the videotape of that as a kid, I was like, whoa. Yeah, that shocked that looks you. Really creepy. I'm like, I'm. I don't know if I can watch this movie. There's, really yeah, scary. there's always like that that one that really freaks you out. And then and then the other one was Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was just an image of Leatherface running and a girl like, you know, tr- running after her. After yeah. Her. And so I rented this movie, and it like it it, it genuinely disturbed me. Yeah. I didn't really easily get disturbed at that time. Like maybe when I saw The Shining for the first time, but now. Like when I saw that, I was like, "Okay, this is this is really hitting hard." And it's not the thing about the movie is, and you can attest this, it's not that bloody. No, it gets it gets so much done through just showing things. And that's the thing: Texas Chainsaw Massacre has this reputation, kind of based on popular culture and its title. Like you hear a title like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it's like this has got to be some sort of gore schlock fest. Yeah, you almost it's it's all it's known by its title mostly, and and why wouldn't there be a lot of blood in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I should point out that the movie wasn't originally going to be called Texas Chainsaw. No, it had other titles like Head Cheese. Yeah, Head Cheese, and it was going to be called Leatherface, and it was going to be called like Stalking Leatherface. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and and Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't. It seems a little too on the nose. It almost does. Like, 
okay, I know what's going to happen in that. Yeah, it basically says all you need to know in that one thing. And yet, the title. Actually, when you wa- but when you watch the movie though, only one only one person dies alive. from a uh, chainsaw. Yeah, I mean the character does use a chainsaw other times in the movie, but there's only one time where a chainsaw actually goes into flesh and kills somebody. Yeah. Uh So I don't I'm not sure where to start. Yeah, please let me hear your take on it. And we'll All go right. from there. I, I want to get a take from somebody who's never seen Well, before. something I always do when it comes to classic horror films uh, is I check off points on my cabin in the woods list. Mm. So now, something to keep in mind about this movie, though, this was sort of the prototype for a lot of horror films to come. Yeah, this is, I think, this is probably the, the grand blueprint. This and Night of the Living Dead were like the grand blueprints for a lot of horror movies we've got in the past 40 years. Yeah, you could say it's probably one of the first, uh, it's one of the first sort of cabin in the woods films. Even though it's even though not it, in the... It's, it's in the wilderness. It's in a it's, secluded it's in, location. It's in a rural... It's like off the road. Uh, domicile structure in the rural area. Yes. <laughs> we'll call it cabin in the woods sort of film. Yeah. It's a. It's sort of like a teen slasher film. All the characters are pretty young. Uh, they're they have idiots more or less. Uh, there's the boyfriend and the girlfriend. They're, they were idiots. They're not obnoxious. No, idiots. and they're certainly not. But uh, and to get back to the characters, this is a this is a uh, this is a note I made towards the end of the film. These characters exist only to be butchered. They don't go <laughs> through any sort of arc or anything. They there's no overarching character conflict to get through. They're just there, and they are going to get killed one by one. Which, they're there for viscera. Yeah, and uh, that's not a bad thing because this film basically has no pretensions. No, it doesn't. I mean, try Texas to be Chainsaw Massacre else. is on the nose, but it's really you get what you pay for. It's it's eighty. The movie's eighty minutes long. There's no fat on this movie. No, I I finished watching this and I looked at the at the runtime like eighty minutes. This felt like this felt like an hour. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it was like... so efficient, and there were, it never dragged. It moved at a brisk pace. Uh, you weren't telling people to get on with it, and you weren't feeling impatient when the people were having conversations. It was just uh, you moved from one scene to another really gracefully. It, it sets. It's efficient. It also sets up its mood really well. Right, at the, like right near the start, you get uh, the hitchhiker who comes onto the van and he sets the tone for the rest of the movie. Yeah. You know, as the guy who's like, Hey, you want to come up to my, my house to make some good head cheese for you. Yeah. And you know, it's, that is like also just, uh, you know, I watched that scene again and I felt just as creeped out than as the, I did when I was 12 years old. It, mm. he is really affecting yeah. and effective. He's, uh, he's on, he is weird at first. Like I was, I was, I, I was thinking about this guy as the scene pl- played out. Like, yeah, he's really weird. I'm not creeped out yet, but he's really weird. And then he then he cuts himself with a knife, and, <laughs> and things go south from there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to just make a little note. There's one character who's uh, named Franklin. He's in a wheelchair. Yes. And he looks a lot like somebody in this room that I'm looking at right now. Me? Yeah, he looks a lot like you, Jack, I think. No, I don't think so. <laughs> the hair is different, but you have a similar sort of facial structure that uh, that makes you look similar. Eh. So just tell people that you're that character from Cha- no, Texas Chainsaw that, that Massacre. Guy's, that guy's a little annoying, though. Eh. Come on, it's Franklin! We're going to have a fun time! <laughs> <laughs> well, they did kind of... They lured him out into a crappy spot with no wheelchair access. So <laughs> yeah, you almost you do feel a little bad for him, except that he is kind of he is the closest to like an obnoxious character, and yet I he still, is understandably and they, obnoxious. And yet I still wasn't annoyed by him. Like they gave him a reason that if he was just a guy walking around and being like, yeah, I don't know, yeah. But he's in a wheelchair. He's probably had a pretty shitty life. He's well. He's he's had a tough day. That too. Uh, yeah. They, I mean, a he, creepy hitchhiker cut his arm. Yeah, and uh, and his friends are disappe- have disappeared. He doesn't want to go out into the woods to look where they are. <laughs> yeah. He it's understandable why he doesn't want to do anything. Uh, you know. But uh, there are also a lot I, of great shots too in the movie that just bring you into like the. Even though it's out in the wild, in the woods, 
there's still a lot of claustrophobia in this movie. I noticed when they first get to the house, there's the low kind of sweeping slow shot of, of her walking up to the house. Right. Right. Is that the one you're thinking? Yeah. Of? The yeah. cabin in cabin in the woods, the movie did that with, Oh, okay. just with that slow, low shot approaching that. They house. were probably, they're definitely homaging that. Like Toby Hooper said, that it's like his favorite uh, shot in the film. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, and by the time you get to that, you know, dinner scene, man, it's <laughs> like, you're like, I, yeah. I, that, that like, that made me up. That makes me upset every time I watch that scene because you're like, "Oh my god, is she gonna get out of this?" Like I've seen the movie so many times, and there's that moment where you feel like, you know, Grandpa is doing his thing. Yeah. And oh, and we, Gram, that's a. You, know, you talk about that house is a character. You know, when that one girl first stumbles into the room and she sees just all that stuff. Again, I talk about but she's atmosphere. Not, but she's not the first one to die. No, no, no. But she's the. But we. But she. But, you know, but she's the one who introduces us even more into this atmosphere. Yeah. Like outside the house, every it single look person, that bad. every single person who enters that house at, uh, gets deeper and deeper. Yeah, you get to see kind of like in Under the Skin with all those men getting deeper and deeper into Scarlett Johansson's uh, alternate parallel dimension. Yeah. Uh, Let me ask you about the character of Leatherface too. I find kind of fascinating because, like. He'll kill somebody, and then he'll kind of act like a child for a little bit or something. He'll, like, freak out and be like, ooh, 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 ooh. I don't know. I uh, just, it, you didn't really notice? Well, no, I that. didn't notice that. I, I, I find, like, there are dynamics to the family. It's not like they're all the same psychopath. They're no. varying degrees. And you could even, like, even in the father, you won't say that he's ambivalent at all about what he's doing, but he seems like the closest to an identifiable human being. Yeah, he's the, he's the person you can hold a conversation with until he, you know, knocks you out and puts you in a bag. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's again, there's no me on the bones by the t- when the film ends, there's no Daniel Ma. It just no. ends. You just see Leatherface like Dan- basically like doing a dance Swinging with his, his chainsaw in and... frustration yeah you know? like when i saw the movie and it cut to black i'm like oh fuck yeah <laughs> that was that was uh that was my uh, it, it was such an abrupt ending but a really satisfying one uh, like as we said it's the it's a very lean film and it because there's nothing you yeah. could have shown after that that would have added anything to the film. I mean, it starts out, uh, it starts out very uh, yeah, efficiency. It starts the way kind of abruptly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, like the filmmaking. The problem that I've had with certain seeing it certain like cl- like some classic exploitation films, they they're just sloppy sloppily made. Like you know, for years I'd heard about Last House on the Left, yeah. the original West Korean film, and I saw it, and it sucks. Yeah, it's not well made, and you don't. They try to get you to sort of identify, sort of, with the characters, and they don't do a good job. Like, but in this movie, you get enough characterization to okay, this is our situation. Then, bam, then things happen, start to happen. Yeah, um, and I, yeah, it's definitely one of the most powerful. Not just powerful horror movies, it's one of the most powerful movies of that period. I wonder what people in Texas think of this film. <laughs> it doesn't make Texas look that great. Well, At least in rural Texas. Uh, and maybe people are really nice there, but, but you get the sense watching this movie, like, take the wrong turn and you'll, you know... Now, here's the th- interesting thing that makes me... Here's what I find most interesting about it. It didn't have to take place in Texas. Hmm. Uh, I think you can... I think there the are stories were from Texas. There are stories like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that happen well, all over the place. It's the it's the going into the wilderness. Uh, it's that sort of anxiety about being in the wilderness in a strange place with locals who who you who you who you don't really trust. Yeah. Well, what we what's also what should be mentioned too is that. Uh, it, it, this is another of those films, handful of films that were inspired by Ed Gein. Right. We yeah, we talked about that last time. That sort of weird. Uh, in what in what context? was Well, that? we were talking about um, 
like there are certain uh, things that just get. Oh yeah, well we did talk about Hitchcock. I I don't like we were just talking about like um we were talking about like I Am Legend. Yes. How that became the uh, the Last Man on Earth, Omega mm-hmm. Man, Night of the Living Dead, yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, uh, finally right, I right. Am Legend. Uh, and then Ed Gein's crimes became Psycho, Psycho Texas, Texas Chainsaw King, Massacre, and, and Silence of the Lambs. Like certain things just get shot into a prism and then blasted yeah. all over all over the world with different interpretations. Yeah. Well, what was great was uh, Toby Hooper on the DVD. He had he was in an interview saying like. Yeah, I mean, my I had relatives from Wisconsin when I was a kid just tell me about this guy who, you know, took the flesh of people and made them into furniture. Yeah, who robbed graves. Yeah, so um, it's not like you could watch. It's not like you watch that movie and think, oh, that's the Ed Gein story. But there is a little bit of truthful, yeah, uh, truthfulness there. Yeah, and I think it's because. That this like kind of certain horror sto- could exist. Yeah, th- like, it's it's the horror of the real world. Like, I've heard it said, like, there are two kinds of horror. There's fantastical horror, like, there's a monster coming to get me. Or there's horror of based in reality, which is like, I can't believe this is happening to a real person. Mm-hmm. And that's what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. It's not an impossible thing. But it's like, it, but it's part of a whole bunch of stories that are kind of popular in, in horror. And, like, and people uh, really plug into which is this yeah survival like since most of us come in come from suburban areas uh and from cities there's a little anxiety about being Mm. in the wilderness like Mm -hmm. i i I have a new job okay and which is in which is in the country basically yeah it's in sussex county in new jersey and uh i go to my job i drive a little bit to get there now, across the street from my job is a house. Down the road one mile is a convenience store and a gas station. And the other way, when you go probably 10 miles, is a high school. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, it takes and, a while to get... And that's for, and when I drive home, I don't see headlights or any lights in my rearview mirror. I have to turn on my high beams because there's very little illumination. And you might hit a deer. Well, that too, but it's that weird feeling that, I mean, in the suburbs, it's barely ever super dark. There are street lamps and there are signs and yeah. traffic lights and you can look around and reasonably see where you are, even if you're walking home in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. In the country, you're in pitch black. Yeah. And it's this idea that it's like a new kind of folklore, I think. Yeah. Anxiety about the country, about people who live in the country, rural people. The Hans, Hans like, and Gretel go into the woods and meet the the, the candy house. Or like Aguirre, the Wrath of God, where you're going <laughs> down the river and you, there are natives around, you mm. can't see them, and that's because they don't want you to see them. Mm. You're, you're just this guy from quote-unquote civilization who has no idea where they, where they really are. Yeah. And the further down river you get, the darker and more terrifying it gets. Yeah. And you, and you feel like anything could be in there. Like in that mysterious house. There could be... It feels like the one place where crazy people really could hide away from the rest of the world. Yes, yes. Exactly. Where where people can just disappear. What's what's great too is, you know, the movie doesn't... It doesn't kid you. You know, that's the thing also. Like the original Night of the Living Dead... You know, like, say what you will, like, all the shots might be, you know, it's it's kind of rough, they have a low budget, but it doesn't lie to you. No. It's really there, it's in your face, and, like, those, there's that whole, there's that series of shots where, um, uh, the character Melon Burns plays, she's the girl, uh, Sally, when she's strapped to that chair, and her, you know, she's freaking out, you know, because she's at this dinner table where they're going to kill her. There are all these shots of her eyes. Yeah. You know, and it's like, I remember when it, I was, It's so close, you see the little arteries yeah. in her eyes. <laughs> yeah. And, and her eyes are darting all over. They're wide. You can see every eyelash. Yeah. And, uh... There is an actual, like, artistic intent there. It's not, like, somebody just messing around. Yeah. You know, like, you could watch... A movie like Tessa's Chainsaw Massacre helps to distinguish that. Okay, you can make kind of an artful grindhouse film. You know, they're not all, like... Herschel Gordon Lewis or, or right. something like that. They're not all blood freak. 
<laughs> Damn you, Blood Freak. <laughs> Damn you, killer Thanksgiving turkey movies. Uh, uh, yeah, so Texas Chainsaw, you like? You, know, you dug it. Yeah, I dig it. Uh, there was one more thing I wanted to say. Oh yeah, it's not a movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna wait another several years to watch it though. Barely a special effect. I want to say, like, barely, barely a drop of blood. Yeah, I mean, there are there are all the creepiness that they make is basically with with bones that are just hanging around the area. A chicken in a cage in a cage, kept Ru- like a pet bird. Rusted farm machinery and a squeaking screen door. And they do more with that than, like, a metric ton of fake blood. Yeah. Not a computer in sight. <laughs> no, not a And I'm not trying sight. to be an old man. Computers have their place. But you just, it makes you wonder sometimes. Yeah. No. It, that, yeah. that is an example no. of... Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. No. If, there, there are two things. Either try to be creative with your scenes of mayhem and murder... Or try to use real blood if you're going to go that route. We well, know don't use, it's fake. Well, blood. don't use people's blood. That's hard to get. <laughs> use fake blood whenever use, possible. Use real fake Listen blood. Listen to us. Listen to us from the wages. <laughs> Listen to the wages of cinema tell you if you're doing blood in a movie, don't use people's blood. Actually, though, it's, it's interesting oh. you mentioned that because that moment where uh, they take Sally and. Uh, you know, they tried to wake up Grandpa by yeah, having her suck on they her really, finger. They really cut her They hand. really cut her fin- hand. Well, the guy... Uh... Because they couldn't really do it right. And they were... Like, it was interesting. Uh, it was great to listen. I watched the movie twice. And the second time was with audio commentary. They apparently... The guy who was Grandpa, he was actually like a teenager. And they actually... That was a really effective makeup job they did on that guy. Well, but the thing he, is, I... I... You know that's in, obviously makeup. They, they, you know it's makeup. But like, apparently the guy told them after they were shooting for a few hours, okay, um, this is going to be the only time that I'm doing a scene. I'm never going to put this on again. This was a nightmare to put this mask on me. I heard it, it took terrible. like a day. To so do. they shot literally like 24 hours straight to get that entire sequence done. Yeah. And. Like, apparently they said that, like, they were going, like, insane shooting it. Because they were in Texas in the middle of summer. It was, like, 100 degrees. And it's like you can... There are certain films where you can almost feel the energy of the place it's in. You can feel the... The Gary of the Wrath of God. Yeah. You can feel the... That's the third time I've brought up that movie. I know, but (laughs) when you talk about visceral movies, you can feel the sweat in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. If that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So yeah, check out the original Texas Chainsaw. As far as the sequels, have you ever seen any of the other ones? I saw. Did you see part two? Yeah, with Dennis <laughs> Hopper. With Dennis Hopper. I'm the Lord of the Harvest. <laughs> yeah, like part two is a sequel to the first movie. Part directly, two is, but it's a comedy. Funny. <laughs> Wasn't so, there like a thing like Toby Hooper said that he intended Texas Chainsaw Massacre to be like a comedy, but everyone took it too seriously. I, he said that he saw some humor in it. I actually laughed at one point yeah. in the original Texas Chainsaw. You can laugh at that because, like, eventually something becomes so horrible that it becomes well, comical. The one, <laughs> the one very funny moment in that movie is when uh, they're bringing the girl back into the house, and uh, the father is—is is I don't know if it's the father or whatever, the the, the, nor- the normal-looking guy—and he notices the door. And he says, look what your brother did to the door! <laughs> yeah. Because, like, Leatherface... He, he chainsawed through Chainsaws it. through the door because he's in such a mania to get this girl. Yeah. Um, and, uh... Yeah, you think... Uh, that's how you know that, like, Leatherface doesn't mess around, though. It's like, I'm not going to try to look for a key. I'm just going to chainsaw through this door. Well... <laughs> but I guess you got to... Like, you got a chainsaw, you might as well use it. Yeah. I've seen a lot of the other Texas Chainsaws... The remake is pretty terrible. I actually do not like the remake. I know it has some fans, even though it has Arlie Ermey. Yeah. <laughs> there was a prequel to the remake, wasn't there? <laughs> yes, there was a prequel to the remake showing the early years of Leatherface. Ah. Because just like Rob Zombie's Halloween, we need to know where our psychopathic serial killers come from. That's like making a movie of Inigo Montoya's childhood. <laughs> Only that could be fun, because that might be funny. Nah. Uh, but anyway, um, really the only one... like If you want to see Part 2, that's a fun movie. Yeah, it's not, see it's a, Part 2 just for the heck of it, if you have some time. See Part 2, because it 
it's basically just them having fun. Parts three and parts four. Sometime I want to show you part four because it has Matthew McConaughey and he's just having the time of his life playing. This like, is before Matthew McConaughey became good. Yeah, it's before <laughs> he became good. It's actually interesting because they shot that movie and it was withheld by the studio because Matthew McConaughey was about to do like an important movie. And they didn't want that movie coming out and spoiling it, so it went just straight to DVD or something. But it's weird. It's it was it was a fun movie if I remember. It's been a while. Um, like what marks that movie was made before Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger had careers. And it's like they're in a Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequel. It's the fourth one. What was another film that we saw? Like Motel Hell. Motel Hell. What was that? That was where uh, I no. I only used preservatives. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that a was similar like a thing, but that, that. that... All right. So, Jack, what are your plans for the coming two weeks? Well, um, with uh, we gotta play, uh, we gotta play Once Upon a Time again. Well, uh, if we can get time, yeah, that yeah. could be fun. Um, I am, uh, I am going to show my class the movie Hoop Dreams. Uh, I'm probably gonna watch that movie twice uh, in four days. So that will be interesting. I'll be watching. A three-hour movie twice in a week. Good. Um, I don't know. Um, oh, um, I don't know. I'm kind of. Tor- How do you feel about this uh, Furious Seven? Do you Furious. know what that is? It's the last Fast and the Furious movie. Of course, it's... they can't call it Fast and. Fu- I, I, here, how about this? So. You first, you start calling it the Fast and the Furious. I'm kind Good of confused title. about the number of Fast and Furious movies because there there's a seven. Fast and the Furious. There, there was Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. No, no, no. Before that, there was Two Fast, Two Furious. All right, Two Fast, Two Furious with the letters with the numbers two. And make uh, it that. what is it? Fast and Furious Three. Okay. Fast okay, and the okay. Furious. To 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 be like the angry video game nerd and try to do the uh, sequence uh, breakdown for you. So. You have The Fast and the Furious in 2001. Then you have Too Fast, Too Furious in 2003. Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift in 2006. Um, Fast and Furious, which is Fast and the Furious 4 uh, in either... I want to see the crossover movie with Kung Fu Fu Panda, Fast and the Furious 5. Huh. Have you ever seen Kung Fu, Fu I've, Panda? Of course, I've seen Kung Fu Panda. How's that? What are the names of the of the masters who live in the temple? Fast and Furious. They're the Furious Five. Oh, God damn oh. it, Jack! Damn it! Do, do, that, Maybe I, uh, you made me explain my joke. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there was That's Fast the, and Furious. Which Fast is, and Furious is the fourth one. Then. You fast have, five. Then you have just fast five. Then you have fast. Uh, then you have fast and. Let me just see if this is Furious Six instead. Yeah, it's just Furious Six and now Furious Seven. So this one coming out is Furious Seven. Fast Six was 2013. Fast and Fast. A uh, Furious Five was in 2011, and Fast and Furious was in 2009. So this is the seventh movie. Um, I was. I'm. I'm. I'm on the edge of being able to see it just because, you know, for one thing, it's Paul Walker's last film. I'm kind of curious if I can maybe tell if or where they used CGI Paul Walker. You're going to use, you're going to play the macabre game of is this man alive or no, not? No, but like, let me, but like, if you watch The Crow, you don't have that thought watching it. Like, okay, did they use real Brandon Lee here or the other one here? All right, maybe that is part of it. Also, I mean, some of the movies are kind of fun in a trashy way. I've, I've seen, seen my the, share I've... of Fast and Furious movies as a substitute teacher working in shop classes. <laughs> That's the those uh, are the movies you. They're sometimes by choice because, or no because that's the only thing they had and <laughs> also because students have Netflix accounts and they can 
log into them from school computers, and it's a long story. But you 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 can't the keep movies track of them, are they're very disposable. They're nonsense. Yeah, but they're, they they're are kind of, but they are. Critic proof because you can because it's what the teen boys wanted to watch. Yeah, they, <laughs> they are... wanted to watch people with guns and fast cars doing ridiculous, nonsensical, physics-defying heists. Yes, and to me, the the movie there was are... nothing that could dissuade them from yeah, how much they it. liked it. I the the Fast and Furious movies are like a more they're a more acceptable version of what the Transformers movies try to be. Well, they are definitely more acceptable than Transformers. Yeah, that doesn't mean that the Fast and Furious movies, I won't throw it down as being very good movies. And again, I'll, I haven't seen the third one, and I haven't seen the sixth one. Um, part of my interest as well is that this new one is Jason Statham and Kurt Russell. Just round up as many B-list action movies <laughs> as you can. Yeah, I mean, so, they got um, Dwayne Johnson... Well, they got in, Vin well, Diesel. Well, he was in some of the other ones too. Yeah. Uh, so, but the point is, though, I'm I'm mildly curious. I'm not like totally sold. I might. I'll, I'm going to wait for the reviews. Uh, frankly, um, what all aside right. from aside from that, I'm also I might watch this movie uh, called Serena. This is a. I don't know if you've heard about this movie, but um, this is a movie that has had a troubled production history and it stars Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, that's and... a that's a great indicator. <laughs> well, they're they're good actors. No, I mean but the troubled, troubled production history. history. I'm curious also in right, well, the last time that a movie had a troubled production history and ended up being good was probably Apocalypse Now. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I'd have to think about, you know, it's funny you say that and I'm sure that there are other good movies from troubled production histories. Actually, The Crow would be one of them. But, um... I don't know. Yeah, you make a good point. Maybe maybe I shouldn't watch it. Um, uh, so, there's that. Yeah, usually troubled production histories, you get movies like, like, Hildalgo, and, uh, Sahara, and, uh, like, The Legends of Oz, Dorothy's Return. (laughs) Um, I might also watch the movie Nightcrawler again. I just got that on Blu-ray. It's a pretty awesome movie. Right. I might lend that to you at some point if you're curious. Another one of those uh, X-Men character-driven no. films. Um, Hopefully it's better than Wolverine. Are you joking? Am I? <laughs> yes, I'm joking, Okay, because you know, you get on me about Kung Fu Panda and I forget... You know, the name of the group in, you know, I haven't seen Kung Fu Panda 2. I remember the name character's name Poe, but when you say it like, th- like that, I don't know if you're joking. All right. All right, so we what are you about watching, maybe? Well, I've got to watch The Tale of Princess Kaguya. Uh, yeah, you mentioned I've been on it. I've, I've had it for, like, two months, and I'm on a Japan kick right now. So uh, i got to watch I that. I mentioned that movie's awesome, so. Yeah. Yeah. It's in my it's in my PS3 right now. I'm gonna I'll watch it tomorrow. You do that. All right. <laughs> that's all. That's my only plan right now. Mm, yeah, I'm sure I'll. You know, movies end up you know coming up for me on. You know, I don't. You know, sometimes I make plans. Sometimes I kind of let the uh, the wheels of time you know try to kick in. Right. The the. The the chrononautical uh, ways. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, so anyway, on behalf of myself, Andrew, Bur- Andrew, Bur- Andrew, are you are you? Do you have a game uh, glitch? Uh, <laughs> you're you're game glitching. I'm Andrew, and I'm Jack. And let us just remind you that the wages of cinema are death. Have a good night. You too, and happy Easter.